Would you pray with me? Father, we are so gracious to you for your mercy, your compassion, your grace on us. Father, you have wonderful plans for our lives. And we so oftentimes mess those up with our own plans and our own ways. But God, we praise you for the forgiveness of sins. And we praise you that you lead us into new life. Would you please speak to us now through your word? Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Help us to apply what you want us to apply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday we started a four-week sermon series entitled Building Your Life on Christ. And as I said last week, I'll say again this week, it's a four-week series and I would encourage you to come back. And it's, and it's a little bit of a truth here behind what I'm saying. I, I don't want you just to come back for a four-week series. What I really want you to do is to put yourself in a place where you will learn how to build your life on Christ. I, I think church is a very good thing and I, I highly urge you to get involved in a good church where you will hear God's word presented, where you will learn how to build your life on Christ. I know some of you are visiting from other towns today, and some of you are visiting from other churches. I'm, I'm not trying to steal other pastors away from other churches either. Uh, but I want you to build your life on Christ. That's what we're talking about here in this four-week series, building our lives on Christ. Last week, we talked about knowing Jesus Christ as our cornerstone. And I gave an illustration last week, and I'll just briefly recap that illustration. 2,000 years ago, if you were building a house or a building out of stone, what you would do is you would look for a perfect cornerstone. You would go out to the fields where you could find stones and you would pick through them and you would look for one that would be your perfect cornerstone. You would look for one, obviously, that would be big enough, strong enough to support your building. But also you would be looking for one that is the right shape because as I said last week, when you set that cornerstone down in the foundation, the shape of that cornerstone, to a large degree, shapes the shape of the entire building. So the, if the stone is shaped this way, all of the stones that get then placed in the wall on that whole wall would fall in line with the shape of that cornerstone. And it's the same for the other side as well. And spiritually speaking, the analogy is simple. Our whole lives, everything about our lives is to fall in place because of who Jesus Christ is. We are to build our lives on him. He is our cornerstone, and we worship and follow him. As we saw last week in Colossians 3, 4, Jesus Christ is to be our life. It's not just that we come to him for tips every once in a while when we're stuck. It's that he directs our entire lives. At least that's the life that God wants for us to live. Yet we do have an option, like I said last week as well. There's two options we could choose. We could look at Christ, that perfect cornerstone for us, and we could say, yes, I receive you. I want you as my cornerstone. Or we could say, no, I have other plans for my life. Jesus himself gave us that option. He said, if you lose your life, you'll save it. But if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. The, the idea is we need Jesus Christ as our cornerstone. And then, so that was kind of a recap of last Sunday's sermon. Then what I want to do now is we move ahead in Colossians 3. We're looking at verses 1 through 17 over this four-week sermon series. And verses 5 through 17 will explain to us what this life built on Christ should look like. How should we be building our lives? If our lives are like a house, what should those houses look like? A friend of mine said this week, well, they should look pretty different than a lot of the other houses around. 
Uh, that's one thing that we need to remember. The life built on Christ should look different than the lives that we see all around us. So to answer this question about what our lives should look like, we're going to move ahead now in our sermon series. And today we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. And you'll notice quickly about this passage that it tells us a lot of things that we are not supposed to do in our new lives in Christ. And in some ways, it's kind of a list of rules. It's, it's a list of don'ts. Now, some people object right away to that because for, for a lot of people in our world, one of the main objections to Christianity is all the rules all those don'ts that take away all of our fun. Because our sinful nature desires to lead us on a path far away from Christ. But in our passage, we're, we're going to see these don'ts, these rules, these prohibitions. How should we take those in the Bible? Well, what, what I would suggest to you, and I don't think it's a stretch for you all to understand this, that, that rules and prohibitions are good for us. Imagine if somebody woke up in Fergus Falls today and said, you know what, I'm tired of red lights. I'm just not going to stop at them anymore. Would that rule be a freeing rule for them or for any of us to, to stop following it? No, it would, it would cause danger to, to them and to others. Call them rules or prohibitions or whatever you want to, but the fact is that they're good for us. And I want to give you my big idea right away before we jump into our passage. God tells us what not to do because he has something better for us. God tells us what not to do because he has something better for us. So yes, we will see a list of things in our passage today that we should not do, but there's a reason. It's because God has good plans for us. Plans that are far better than the plans we could come up with on our own. So God tells us what not to do because he has something better for us. I want to read the passage now. It's Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. Flip there in your Bibles if you have them, or they're in your bulletins if you don't have your Bible. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. I have two points underneath my big idea today and my first point is that there are certain things we should not build our lives with. In this passage, there are 11 sins that we are told not to commit. And you can think of those things as like a list of materials that you're not supposed to build your house with. I've been thinking a lot about building lately as we've gone through this remodeling project here. And, and there are certain things in this remodeling project that we had to be very aware of not building with. Uh, a couple of them that we were concerned about were asbestos and lead. And we, we had tests done for those things in this building. And praise the Lord, the asbestos test came back negative. We did not have asbestos. So that was just kind of like, whew, glad we don't have to deal with that. But the lead test came back as, boy, we have a lot of lead paint. And it, look up at this ceiling. Above these white clouds here, if you can see through the light, this uh, beautiful hammered tin ceiling that we have painted black now. That was not what it looked like when we bought this building. What it looked like was 
there was a drop ceiling, so, and you, you take off this drop ceiling, and it's just like, oh, look at that. There, there were pieces of paint the size of your hand all over the place just dangling off of that ceiling. And the paint was full of lead. Now, lead paint is a big problem because, do you know this about lead paint? It tastes sweet. Do you know that that's why kids eat it? Because it tastes sweet. They put it in their mouth like, oh, that's good. It's candy. I'm going to eat that. So we had this ceiling with lead paint just dangling all over the place, and we thought, well, we have to take care of that. We don't want to build our new building with, with that stuff. I don't want my kids or any of your kids or any of you adults either to be, <laughs> oh, this looks good. <laughs> so we, we were talking about how are we going to fix this. And, and one of the suggestions was, well, let's just get as much of it off as we can and then just paint over it. But then we started to say, well, what if that new paint comes off then and the old paint is with it? And then, you know, one of you guys gets hungry during the sermon and you start eating it. We don't want that. So we, then somebody said, well, there's another step up that you can do. There's this lead encasing primer that you can put on it. And it it's more expensive, quite a bit more expensive, but it does two things. It locks the lead in. And this was very interesting to me. It makes it taste bitter. So that if for some reason a, a chunk of this were to fall off and one of you guys starts gnawing on it, you think, oh, it's bitter. I, I don't want to eat that. <laughs> the point of why I'm saying that is for some reason, decades ago, people used to think, lead paint, yeah, let, let's build with that. Asbestos, yeah, that's a, that's a high-quality material. Let's use that in our building. But now we just know more about these things, that they're really dangerous, and you would not build your house with those things. Now, I hope you see where I'm going with this. Spiritually speaking, there are things that we all have done in our lives, many, many, many times in our lives, that are not good for us. And we must not build our lives that way. So there are certain things, as Paul says, and he uses strong language here, that we are to put to death. To rid ourselves of. Now for those of you that work with buildings, I'm sure you kind of get tired of some of these rules. Oh man, there's lead paint and we have to do this lead paint abatement now. Or you know, mold, great. Now we have to deal with the mold. And, and I'm, I'm guessing that sometimes those rules that you have get old. But I'm sure also that you would agree that they're good. That, that we can't just have those things around to cause problems for our health. So Paul uses strong language here right away in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Paul is asking for a high level of vigilance here. He said the same thing elsewhere in Romans 8. 13, he said, If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And in Galatians 5, Paul talked about crucifying the sinful nature. We are not to treat sin lightly. We are to kill it. To put it to death. If you see it in your life, you're to say, I don't want that there. It's death. I don't want it. And you put it to death. As a theologian, David Garland put it, we are either dead to sin or dead in sin. I, I find that to be such a helpful distinction there. That we think about these old practices, our old way of life, and those things that we, we used to do, and maybe even some of those things that we've done already today. And we say, I don't want that anymore. I want to die to that. Because if we let it linger in us, it will just bring death. It will bring hindrance to our relationship with God. 
And I quoted David Garland last week, and I'll, I'll quote this again. He said, there is to be a drastic split with the old life. So again, Christianity is not just about Jesus giving you a tip here or there. It's about dying to your old way of life and receiving a new life. So in verse 5, Paul mentions five sins. I want to read them for you again. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. At least the first three of these, if not all five of them, have to do with sexual sins. And if I can just speak frankly here, uh, the temptation to sin sexually is all around us. Almost anywhere you look, the temptation to lust. And, and that one, by the way, is something that resides even within us, that we don't even have to go anywhere to lust. But then when you think about all the other things that, that are thrown at us, the temptation to pornography, the temptation to sin sexually outside of marriage, there are so many things out there and in our sinful nature that would tempt us to these sins. And, and I think we all know that the pull is strong. So what do we do if we see it there? If we see sexual sin tempting us, do we just kind of, oh, there it is. It's, I, I, I heard one person talking about, what if there was a lion in your home about to eat your kids? Would you say, oh, hello, Mr. Lion, nice to see you. Or would you do something drastic to get rid of that lion there? We are to put these things to death. They have no part in our new life with Christ. One of the interesting things about the 11 sins mentioned in this passage is that it's not our standard. Not even the standards of those around us. If we just compared ourselves to other people, we might say, well, I'm not as bad as that other person. Uh, or, you know, yeah, yeah, I kind of fall into that every once in a while, but it's not that big of a deal. Most of the time, I'm a good person not our standards. It's the standards of Jesus Christ. And he set the bar pretty high. Remember when he was talking about lust and spiritual adultery? He said that anyone who has looked lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if we see these things in us, and you can think maybe specifically of these sexual sins now, if we see these things in us, we, we shouldn't just say, oh, whoops, I slipped. Or, you know, that's just a weakness of mine and I'll probably always have that. No. Those are things that are to be put to death. Just like in your house, there might be a problem. You might see a little crack on your wall and say, oh, I might, I, I need, to fix, I might need to put some paint on that. But the problem could be much deeper. The problem could be your foundation. And I think that's what Paul is saying in regard to these sins here. Don't treat them lightly. Don't just paint over them put them to death. And in verse 5, Paul mentions idolatry at the end there. Idolatry is basically setting up anything or anyone else that we would worship or something that would replace God. And these sins can easily lead into that. Can easily come to the place where we're seeking after these things instead of seeking after God. So we're to put these things to death. Now why is Paul so serious about all of this? Well, he gives us one reason in verse 6. He says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. We're to put things, these things to death because of the reality of the coming judgment of God. Now, that's not a very fun thing to talk about, is it? Um, you come to church to be uplifted, right? And now we're talking about wrath? 
But this is interesting. I heard a survey. Well, this is an, an old survey about 20 years ago, but the, the numbers, if anything, have probably gotten worse. They asked Christians, so we're not even just talking about the average American. They asked Christians, do you believe in a loving God? What percentage would you say? Well, 96% of people believe in a loving God. Makes me wonder what the other 4% of those Christians are believing, but th that's not my point today. The second question was, does God punish wrongdoers? You know what percentage of Christians said that yes, God punishes wrongdoers? 19. One nine. 19% of people believe in a God who punishes wrongdoers. Should we believe in a God of wrath? Yes. Yes, we should. Make no mistake about it. For the, hopefully it's more than 19% of you. Hopefully we've done some Bible training here better than that for you to know that yes, God is a God of wrath. The Bible clearly portrays God in this way. Oftentimes in the Bible it reminds us to look ahead to the coming judgment day. That time when God will pour out the finality of his wrath on sin and for those who have rejected Jesus all their lives, they will experience wrath as well. The truth is that God is holy. That's why God is a God of wrath. The, the wrath of God exists simply because of the holiness of God. God can't just overlook sin. Can't just sweep it under the rug and say, oh, that's okay. Sin, in God's eyes, must be dealt with. So sin is a very big deal. At the least, sin hinders our relationship with God. So I want you to remember that for those of you that have already received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you're looking at these 11 sins in our passage today, they will hinder your walk with God, okay? If you hold on to them, they will hinder your walk with God. And at worst, if we live in sin, if a person rejects Jesus and lives in sin, then they face the wrath of God on Judgment Day. And that is eternal separation from God. So sin is a big deal. We don't often treat it as a big deal. We often kind of just say, whoops, or ah, no big problem. And to that I would just say, if sin isn't a big deal, then why in the world did Jesus die? If sin could just be swept under the rug or God doesn't care about it, why did Jesus die? So let's treat our sins with the severity that they deserve. And that's why Paul says, put them to death. In verse 7, Paul reminds us that it's all too easy to walk in sinful ways. In fact, we all used to do it in the lives we once lived. It is easy. It is natural to sin. Every single one of us were born sinners. Now that doesn't make it right. But, but, but some people use that argument. They say, well, that's just the way that I was born. I was born as just kind of an angry person. So for me to be angry, well, that's just who I am. That doesn't make it right. We were all born sinners. Let me tell you one that I was born with, or, or, or maybe more accurately uh, came in puberty. But, uh, and I, just to be very, very honest with you, I was a lustful male. That's and I'm, I know I'm not the only one who can, who can say that. And I'll just, I just honestly confess that because I want to help you understand the severity of sin. And, and I, I lived it. The temptations were everywhere. And as a, as a young man, it was just so natural. In fact, I had a, a teacher tell me that it was natural and that it should be explored. Um, 
It's natural? Yes. It's also sinful. And we are to eradicate it. We are to put it to death. And I'm so thankful that later on in my, in my life, I had another teacher who walked me through that process and praised the Lord. God strengthened me. It was a very difficult battle. But what happened there, I believe, was that this, as this man was teaching me about sin and lust and how God wants us to live, that he walked me through that process of putting it to death. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and claim perfection. But what I am going to stand up here and say is that we all need to build our lives on Christ and follow what he wants for us and put these sins to death when we see them. Paul goes on to say in verse 8, there are things that we should rid ourselves of. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from the lips. He adds in verse 9 that we are not to lie to each other. These six sins are sins that tear apart relationships and destroy community. Theologian Doug Moo described these sins as a combination of anger and ill will that leads to nasty speech. So how do you react to other people? What goes on in your heart when you're wronged or when somebody annoys you? Do you lie? Do you talk about people behind their backs? That's called slander. And and just a little tip on that one. When, When somebody comes to me and talks to somebody, excuse me, when they come to me and they talk about somebody else behind their back, you know what I'm thinking? I wonder what they say about me behind my back. It has no place in our lives. Even if you think, oh, I'm just venting to my friend or to my wife. No, no slander, no gossip. And I want to point out one thing that I found very interesting from this list in verse 8. The word for anger in verse 8 is the exact same word as wrath in verse 6. Now in verse 6 it says the wrath of God is coming, but in verse 8 it says no anger amongst you, no wrath. Why is that? Why can God have wrath but we can't? Well, it's because he's God and we're not. That it's right for him to respond that way when he has determined that that's the response. But we're not God and we are not to respond in anger and wrath like that. Okay, so the idea here in my first point is that we are not to live our lives according to these 11 sins. We should not build our lives that way. So let's get to the application here. I want to ask you a very forward question. Do you struggle with any of these 11 sins? Look at the list again, verse 5 and verse 8, as well as the one about lying in verse 9. Do you see any of these in you? I want you all right now just to, again, read through those verses on your own and pick out one or two or eleven that you struggle with and be honest with yourself. God already knows exactly what's going on in your heart. You don't have to be embarrassed. But just be honest with yourself. Do you see any of these eleven sins in your life? And this is not a time for you to be nudging your husband or your wife. Did you see that one verse? You got that one. No, no. Jesus might tell us to take the log out of our own eye first. So do you see any of these in your life? And if you see these sins, what should you do? Put them to death. Rid yourselves of them. Ask God to forgive you of them. Ask God to give you the strength to choose a better path. Now just a word of comfort here. We are all works in progress. And I'm not suggesting that if you see any of these 11 sins in you that you're a terrible Christian. 
I'm suggesting that you're a human being just like I am and that we all need help and that we all need these reminders. I was able to pick at least one of these. That's all I'll say, at least one of these. And it's something that I know now that I need to work on, that I need to put to death and to flee from. Okay. So, do you see where I'm going with this? It's a list of rules. It's a list of don'ts. Why, why is that? Well, the reason is because God has something better for us. And the next part of our passage begins to show us what our new life in Christ is supposed to look like. And I want to reread for you now verses 9 through 11. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. My second point is that we are to take off the old and put on the new. Take off the old and put on the new. Now, remember last week we talked about dying. It says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In our passage today we've seen language about putting things to death. But now the metaphor changes a little bit in verses 9 and 10. Now the metaphor is about clothing. What kind of clothes did you wear in the 1980s? <laughs> any of you still have those clothes in your closet? Do any of you, do any of you look at those clothes and say, oh, I should wear that again? <laughs> and then I want to see a show of hands on this one, and I'll raise my hand because I'm in this category. How many of you in the 1980s rolled your pants? That is, you took the cuffs of your pant legs and you tightly rolled them up Okay, I want you to keep your hands up, those of you that did that. How many of you looked at that looked and thought to yourself, I look good? <laughs> People don't do that anymore. <laughs> Unless, like, you're going in a field and you want to keep the bugs out or something. But, uh, there is this show on TV. It's a terrifying show to me. I hope that nobody ever signs me up for it. It's called What Not to Wear. Have any of you ever seen this? <laughs> So the show is there are two fashion experts and then there's one person that has agreed to be on the show with them who is not at all a fashion expert. And these fashion experts come into the home of this other person and this person walks them through their closet and they say things like, yeah, I, I like this shirt and this, and I think they go well together and the fashion expert is like, whoa, no. And what they do is they actually bring a garbage can into the closet and they start going through this closet and they say things like, you should never wear that ever, ever again. Put that in the garbage. So they, they fill up this garbage. They take their old clothes and put them in the garbage. And then what they do is they give them money and they go shopping with them. So they take them to a shop where they sell new clothes and, and they help them pick out new clothes. And at the end of this, the show, they usually have kind of a runway thing or, you know, walk down and show us your new clothes and, and they look better. And I hope you see again where I'm going with this. You know, the... The spiritual principle here is that we are to take off those old clothes, those things that used to be in our lives and say, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. Those sinful practices, we need to take them off and put on the new that God has for us. Over the next two weeks, we'll look a lot at those new clothes. There will be a bunch of things that Paul tells us that we should be doing and, and this clothing language is one of Paul's favorite metaphors. In Ephesians 4, Paul tells us to put off the old self and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.17, I believe this one's in your bulletin, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 
we have a new life to live. We're talking about building our lives on Christ. And the idea is that he has a better life for us, a better wardrobe for us to wear than one that we would pick out for ourselves. But it's kind of interesting today, instead of just diving right into this list of the new clothes, Paul gives us the reason why we are to do this. And the reason is in verse 10. Because we are being renewed in knowledge in the image of God, our Creator. God wants to do a spiritual makeover in our lives. It's off with the old and on with the new in Christ. The reason is because God is doing a work in us. He is reshaping us, renewing us into the image of our Creator. Now that image language from verse 10 should cause you to remember something from the very first chapter of the Bible. And I put this one in your bulletin as well. Genesis 1.27 It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Just a few verses later in verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was not just good, very good. So God made, did all this work of creating and then the crowning act of his creation was to make male and female. And God looked at all that he had made with, with the smile on his face and said, yes, that is the way that I wanted to make it. It is very good. But then something very bad happened two chapters later in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sinned. They went specifically against God's word. Tried to build their own lives, really, is what they tried to do. And as a result, we have what we call the fall. And as a result of the fall, we were all born into a world that is terribly marred by sin, and we ourselves are terribly marred by sin. So even though we are still created in the image of God, the fact is that far more often than we would like to admit, we look like sin more than we look like Christ. But here's the good news. God is at work to save us and to renew us into the image of God again. We have it in part now. If you look really hard at at pretty much any person in the world, you can see it, but it's marred behind all this wickedness and sin. And what God wants to do now is to reshape us back into the image of God. It's a process that will, will not be finished in this life here on earth. It's a process that God will finish on that day when we are glorified in Him. But it's a process that God wants to take us along right now to reshape us back into the image of God. That's what Colossians 3.10 says, that we are being renewed in knowledge in the image of our Creator. Other verses in the Bible say this. I wish I could spend a lot more time on it. I'll just mention one verse here. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. That's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to build our lives that old way. He doesn't want us to go back into that old closet and keep on putting those old clothes. He has something new for us. He wants to reshape and to renew us. That's pretty neat. For those of us who are building our lives on Christ, the fact is that we are not building alone. God is the master builder. And he is at work in us to reshape us and to renew us. Our destiny as children of God is to become more and more like Christ. So what we should be doing now then is continually, day by day, giving ourselves to God, showing up for work and saying, God, you're the foreman. You're, you're doing this building project. What do you want me to do today? We are to be dead to sin 
but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 6.11. So the language of Colossians 3 here, especially verse 10, is that God is actively, presently, ongoingly doing a work in us to reshape us and to renew us into the image of God. And we are to join with him in that practice. So the application here is that we are to put to death certain practices, take off the old, and to put on the new. We're to stop all those things like filthy language and anger and rage and sexual immorality. We're to take those things off because God has something better for us. But how, practically speaking, do we do that? The one word answer? Repentance. Repentance. we acknowledge with God that what we have done is wrong and we ask him to forgive us. And again, we don't need to be embarrassed before God by that. It would be, it would be worse to pretend that we could hide those things from God. We come before him honestly and say, God, here's what I've done. Would you please forgive me? I know that that's part of my old life and not part of the new life. Would you please forgive me and strengthen me now to live the life that you want me to live? It's off with the old, on with the new. And again, as I said before, the next two weeks we're going to be looking at the last section of Colossians 3 and it'll tell us a lot more of these things that we are to put on. But today what Paul wants us to realize is that there are things that we actually do need to take off to put to death to rid ourselves of. And then just to finish off this section, I want to look at verse 11. Verse 11, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul reminds us in verse 11 that we are made new in Christ and therefore these old descriptions of us do not matter. It doesn't matter if you're a Greek or a Jew, if you're circumcised or not, because Christ defines us now. It doesn't matter if you're a barbarian or a Scythian. And those two words were words for foreigners. They were possibly derogatory words, maybe even racist words to talk about people as uncivilized. And Paul said it doesn't matter if you're one of those. It doesn't even matter if you're a slave or if you're a free man because Christ is all and is in all. Racial distinctions don't define us anymore. We are not to look at ourselves as white people who are Christians or black people who are Christians. We are to look at ourselves first and foremost as Christians and any other Christian then is my brother and my sister in Christ. Now it doesn't mean that racial distinctions go away. It doesn't mean that you change colors when you receive Christ and we all just become the same monotone color. That's not what it means at all. We, we still have those distinctions. In fact, those distinctions are a good thing. In, in Revelation, it talks about how God wants people from every nation, tribe, people, and language to come together and worship at the throne. So those distinctions go away. And I want to encourage you with this. You Norwegians don't have to give up being Norwegian to follow Christ. You don't have to give up your lefsa. I would suggest maybe you give up your lutefisk. But, um, but our DNA does not define us anymore. Christ does. And as such, please hear me on this. Racism is not allowed. God wants all people to come to Jesus Christ. All races are welcome at the foot of the cross. And then we're changed. And when we come to Christ, we become part of the family of God and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Okay, now I just want to put a bow on this whole passage, my conclusion here. God is the master builder. God is the master builder. He has good plans. His blueprints are far better than the blueprints we could come up with ourselves. Again, as I think about building, I've been thinking a lot about this building here and the remodeling that went on. When, when we first bought this building and walked into it, it was kind of like, oh, this is kind of dingy. And, and I had a picture in my mind of what this sanctuary could look like. But I have said many times over the last couple of weeks, it looks so much better than I could even imagine. And you know why that is? Because we had very skillful people designing this place and building this place. People who are far more skillful than I. And this, I, I believe that this room came together. I, I think that God had his hands in it. That he, he gave people the skill to do this room and it looks better than what I thought it would look like. The spiritual principle behind that is God has a better plan for our lives than we do. We might think that we know exactly how we should run our lives. We might go into our old closet and say, yeah, I'm going to wear that today. But really, that should be thrown in the garbage. And we should put on these new clothes that Christ has for us, building our lives on Him. And yes, some of God's plans do include a list of rules and don'ts. And we need to look at those and say, okay, that should not be part of my new life. But Christianity isn't only a list of don'ts. It is a relationship with a God who loves us and has good plans for our lives and wants to lead us into newness of life and to give us great joy. So whenever God tells us something not to do, it's for our own good. And again, as we'll see the next two weeks, God wants to replace those old things with new things for us to put on. So again, I want to encourage you to keep coming back and, and listening to this series about how we can build our lives on Christ. God tells us what not to do because he has something better for us. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this new life in Christ. And we just want to come before you right now and, and confess that as we look at those 11 sins in this passage, that we see some of those in us. God, you see them too. So right now, God, we confess those sins to you in the quietness of our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for our sins, that we can have complete forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you, Father, that you have a new plan for our lives that has nothing to do with those old ways. Would you please guide us in that would you please strengthen us to put to death and to rid ourselves of those evil practices and to put on the new in Christ? God, would you teach us day by day what that life looks like and may we honor you by submitting to you and following you in this new life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.